33 for our reading tonight. When Jeroboam built Shechem in the hill country of Ephraim and lived there, he went out from there and built Penuel. And Jeroboam said in his heart, Now the kingdom will turn back to the house of David. If this people go up to offer sacrifices in the temple of the Lord at Jerusalem, then the heart of this people will turn again to their Lord, to Rehoboam, the king of Judah. and They will kill me and return to Rehoboam, king of Judah. So the king took counsel and made two calves of gold. And he said to the people, You have gone up to Jerusalem long enough. Behold, your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And he set one in Bethel, and the other he put in Dan. Then this thing became a sin, for the people went as far as Dan to be before one. He also made temples on high places, and he appointed priests from among all the people who were not of the Levites. And Jeroboam appointed a feast on the 15th day of the 8th month, like the feast that was in Judah. He offered sacrifices on the altar. And so he did in Bethel, sacrificing to the calves that he made. And he placed in Bethel the priests of the high places that he had made. And he went up to the altar that he had made in Bethel on the 15th day in the 8th month, in the month that he had devised from his own heart. And he instituted a feast for the people of Israel and went up to the altar to make offerings. So ends the reading of God's word. Let us pray. Eternal God, our Heavenly Father, we do thank you that you are a God who has spoken. You have revealed yourself to your people throughout the ages pointing out to them the way of salvation and the way of obedience to you. So, O Lord, as we look together tonight at this passage, may we be instructed by it and so taught to walk in faith and in trust that we might walk obediently before you all the days of our lives. We ask this through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. The main idea and the main point, I think, of this passage is that we see in Jeroboam a man uh, who was unbelieving. We see that the unbelief of Jeroboam led to, I want us to see, two things. One is that he failed to believe the promise of God to him. He did not believe God's word. And in addition... He failed to follow God's prescribed way of worship, substituting in the place of God's prescribed way of worship his own way, which he would have the people of the northern tribes follow. So we see then Jeroboam's unbelief uh, played out in these verses before us that we have read tonight. So I'd like to look at that, this passage under those major headings. First, Jeroboam's failure to believe God's promise in verses 26 through 27. And secondly, 
Jeroboam's failure to follow God's prescribed way of worship. And then we'll see thirdly that the writer of the book of Kings particularly underscores the evil of Jeroboam's sin. So first, let's look at verses 26 and 27, and we see in these verses Jeroboam's way of responding to the promise that God had made to him. Well, we see first that he built, uh, he built up or restored two cities, Shechem in the hill country of Ephraim, and that is where he made his dwelling. And he went out from there and he built Penuel, and Penuel is uh, uh, on the other side of the Jordan. Um, uh, that would be east. And then uh, we see that Jeroboam, in verse 26, said in his heart, Now the kingdom will turn back to the house of David. If this people go up to offer sacrifices in the temple of the Lord at Jerusalem, then the heart of this people will turn again to their Lord, to Rehoboam, the king of Judah, and they will kill me and return to Rehoboam, the king of Judah. So let's consider then Jeroboam's thoughts. Um, One thing that is true, uh, that is good to uh, learn when you are young, is that you cannot read another person's thoughts. You don't know another person's thoughts unless they tell you what is in their mind. You can get yourself in a lot of trouble if you don't observe that. However, God here reveals to us Jeroboam's thinking. He takes the veil off and he shows us his thought processes and it reveals a heart that is insecure. Jeroboam is fundamentally insecure. He realizes that the house of David is uh, the house, uh, is is David's, uh, the promises made to David are eternal. He also realizes that God has given him uh, uh, the northern tribes to rule over, and yet he sees himself in a precarious, somewhat unsettling position as king. And he realizes that as the days go on and the people of the northern tribes make pilgrimage to Jerusalem, that their hearts could change toward him. Right now, they're all for his ruling them, but this is something that could change. And so he mulls this over in his minds, in his mind. And so uh, what is going on here? Well, one thing that we notice about Jeroboam is that he is not a man of faith. He's not thinking about the promise that the prophet had made to him, that God himself was in this separation of the northern tribe from the southern And remember that God had said to Jeroboam, if you will listen to all that I command you, Jeroboam's not listening. If you will listen to all that I command you and will walk in my ways and do what is right in my eyes, I will build you a sure house, like the house of David. So God here gives a word of promise to Jeroboam, God has given you words of promise. 
And it's so important that we meditate on those promises and that we let those promises fill our thoughts. Because if we don't, what happens is that our thinking takes over. It's a dangerous thing when we begin to talk to ourselves in a way in which the promises of God are not present, influencing our thought processes. Not only do we continually uh, have thought processes, and not only do we continually speak to ourselves and our own minds, we listen to ourselves far too often. Um, our worries, our anxieties, the things that uh, we are fearful about, they come before our, the mind's eye. And we meditate upon them and we think about them. And so often it is the case that we don't bring to bear the word of promise that God has given to us. Where should Jeroboam's security have laid? How should he have encountered his own insecurity? How should he have responded to his thought processes? He should have said to himself, but the Lord has said to me, I will build you a house. Walk before me in obedience, and I will build you a house like the house of David. And, and so Jeroboam didn't listen to what God had said to him. And that's fundamentally our problem, isn't it? It's fundamentally our problem. We get lost in ourselves, in our own thoughts. That's what Jeroboam did. He was thinking and thinking and thinking. He did not bring God's word to bear upon his situation. You may be facing something like that in your life, and it doesn't matter what age you are. Whether you're young and in school, you're faced with difficulties and problems. How should we respond in the light of the problems that we face? It should be that we live before the Lord, that we bring our concerns before him. Psalm 37.4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him. And he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice to the noonday, as the noonday. So it's continually the case that we need to be reminded to trust in the Lord, to delight ourselves in him to commit our way to the Lord. And this is something that Jeroboam failed to do. His unbelief showed itself in his not taking into account the promise that God had made to him. It is characteristic of us that we have problems and we think that we can predict the future uh, you may be, I, I tend to do this, and you may tend to do it as well. You know, we, we think about certain situations that exist, and we think, surely something will happen. And we imagine what is going to happen. 
and it's as though it takes over, even though, in our thinking, even though we have no basis for it. And isn't it the case that you say, after, after that situation has gone by, and you look back on it, you say, well, all the things that I feared that would happen, it didn't turn out the way I thought they would. And uh, we then are sometimes tempted to take things into our own hands. We're fearful, we're confused, and we plan to make plans to proceed with a plan of our own, something that is not, something that is pleasing to God, and we know it to be so, and yet uh, we proceed in that way. So Jeroboam's unbelief is revealed, first of all, that he didn't, didn't take into account God's promise to him Trust in the Lord. Believe that he is the one who provides you as a father who tenderly loves you with all the security that you need. Go to him when you're fearful and lay your heart bare before him. Let him know and say, Lord, my trust is in you. You are the one who has promised to keep me all throughout the days of my life. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him. He will act. Jeroboam didn't do that. We see the results of that in this passage. The second thing that we see is that Jeroboam's unbelief shows itself in his failure to follow God's prescribed way of worship. So Jeremiah, uh, Jeroboam is uh, fearful of, of what of the fickleness of the hearts of the people of the northern tribes, and uh, he comes up with a plan. What is his plan? His plan is to se- separate the people of the northern tribes from the center of worship that God had established in Jerusalem, the temple in Jerusalem, and all the means of grace that are uh, embodied there, all of the the symbolism of the temple, the altar of sacrifice, the holy of holies, and all that that was that the people of Israel would come and they would go there and they would bring their sacrifice. Jeroboam means to set up an alternative site for worship for the ten tribes. And so we read, in verses 28 and 29, that king, the king took counsel, and he made two calves of gold. And he said to the people, You have gone up to Jerusalem long enough. Behold your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And he set one in Bethel, and the other he put in Dan. Now, do those words ring uh, a memory, bring to mind uh, another scene in Israel's history? Behold your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt, spoken concerning the golden calf that the people of Israel made on, while they were waiting for Moses to come down from the mountain. Those are the exact words that, uh, that were spoken concerning that calf. Behold uh, your God who brought you up out of uh, the land of Israel. And so uh, 
Jeroboam. Now, <clears throat> golden calf um, is a symbol of, of, of uh, fertility and strength, and uh, they no doubt learned about uh, that as a, as a symbol in, of worship as a, in, in, in Egypt. And uh, they are, uh, Jeroboam's decision to go in that direction probably was suggested to him by the fact that this was something that Israel had done in their past and had some uh, significance and would resonate with them and it would be popular with the people of the northern tribes. Jeroboam, I think, is trying to appeal to their memory, trying to appeal to a certain uh, practice that was popular at one time with Israel and might be popular again. And so uh, they, uh, Jeroboam, has these golden calves, one for Bethel and one for Dan, and one in the southern part of the the, the, the northern kingdom and the other in the very northern extreme of the part of that kingdom. And Ralph Davis says about this in his commentary, Jeroboam may be suggesting that this tradition, which was practiced in the past, now needs to be revived. And it was certainly popular then, and he was counting on it, as a, an innovation now to be popular once again. You can see in this that uh, the practice of worship uh, was for Jeroboam not something that he received by revelation from God as to what he should do, but it was rather something, in the words of Ralph Davis, something to be massaged and shaped as one prefers, end of quote, to be massaged and shaped as one prefers. And in doing this, he violated the second commandment. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. You see here Jeroboam's insecurity his fears cause him to directly, to violate directly God's express commandment concerning his worship. In Deuteronomy 4, since you saw no form, since you saw no form on that day that the Lord spoke to you at Horeb, out of the midst of the fire, beware lest you act corruptly by making a carved image for yourselves. And so Israel had been warned about this, and yet Jeroboam proceeds with his plan to alter the place of worship, the place where God had put his name, the place where the temple was, where the presence, uh, presence of God had manifested itself in the Holy of Holies, and for to establish alternative sites for the people of the northern tribes. And so in the place of Solomon's temple, he constructs shrines or temples and high places, verse 31a. In the place of the Levitical priests, what does Jeroboam do? He democratizes the priesthood. 
basically anyone that wanted to could become a priest in the northern kingdom. And this, uh, this was something that was abhorrent to the Lord. These were not Levitical priests. They were just taken from the people. And instead of, he also substituted the, t- the time of the festival of tabernacles. He changed it from the seventh month and made it to be on the 15th day of the eighth month. Verse 32. So Jeroboam um, sees himself as, as, as being a religious reformer. And he changes things, yet he keeps things somewhat uh, similar, but he changes the worship of Israel. One commentator said, Jeroboam positions himself as an ironic restorationist, maintaining the true tradition of Israel's worship over against the Mosaic tradition, which was viewed as being restrictive. So Jeremiah is, uh, Jer- uh, Jeroboam is, is introducing uh, variety and diversity in the way that God is to be worshipped in the northern tribes. And so all of this was, uh, was uh, a terrible thing because it essentially leaves the northern tribes in spiritual darkness. Yet there were those who lived in the northern tribes who were godly people. What were they to do under a king who is here forbidding them to travel to Jerusalem? What are they to do during this time? Those that had reverence for God's commandments with respect to how he would be worshipped, what were they to do? In 2 Chronicles chapter 11, uh, we read in verses 13 and following these words. The Levites left their common lands. Remember, the Levites are spread throughout the cities of Israel, in the north as well as the south. They left their common lands and their holdings, and they came to Judah and Jerusalem because Jeroboam and his sons cast them out from serving as to the Lord. So here's a little more information that the writer of Chronicles gives us. Not only did Jeroboam open up the priesthood for all, but he cast out the Levitical priests. And since that was the case, he cast them out from serving as priests, and he appointed in his own priests for the high places, the writer of Chronicles tells us, and for the goat idols and for the calves that he made, and those who set their hearts to seek the Lord of the God of Israel after them from all the tribes of Israel to Jerusalem, came after them to, uh, to Jerusalem to sacrifice to the Lord the God of their fathers, and they strengthened the kingdom of Judah. So not only then did the Levitical priests in the northern tribe make their way to Jerusalem and to Judah, but they also there were others in the northern tribes who set their hearts to seek the Lord, the God of Israel. And they followed the Levite, the Levitical priests. And they all came from the tribes of the north to Jerusalem to offer sacrifices to the Lord, the God of their fathers, and they strengthened the kingdom of Judah. 
so it is that uh, there were those in Israel who had reverence toward God and worshipped God and worshipped him according to uh, his commandments. And uh, we see then also the author of this, these verses underline the evil that Jeremiah, that I keep saying Jeremiah, Jeroboam, uh, uh, committed. In verses 31 and 32, we read, and he made temples in the high places. What I want you to notice is the use of the word made. He also made temples in the high places, and he appointed priests from among all the people who were not of the Levites. Jeroboam appointed a feast on the 15th day of the 8th month, like the feast that was in Judah, and he offered sacrifices on the altar. So he did in Bethel, sacrificing to the calves that he had made. And he placed in Bethel the priests of the high places that he had made. And he went up to the altar that he had made in Bethel and in, on the 15th day of the 8th month, in the month that he had devised from his own heart. And so what you have here is the author of Kings by repeatedly emphasizing and underlining the fact that all of these things are inventions of Jeroboam. They are the things that he made. His religion is something that he concocted, that he came up with. It was not that which was revealed by God. Worship of the true God must be according to his prescription, according to what he has commanded. And this is so very important. It is so very important. Why? Because the way of salvation is, is only through the way of sacrifice in the way that God appointed it. Salvation is graciously given by God, and it is given by way of the shedding of blood. Earlier in Israel's history, you remember that Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, offered unauthorized fire from the Lord. That is, that which God did not command them to offer. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. So this question of what is to be done in the worship of God and how is God to be worshipped, where is God to be worshipped, these are fundamental issues of life and death. To worship God in a way that he has not commanded is to make it up on your own. And for a sinful sinful person to come into the presence of God as he or she wishes. Not as God has prescribed, but as we make it up in our own minds that we will do is to expose ourselves to the very wrath of God because it is the true worship of God that is only through the means of grace that God provides. God provided the means of grace through the sacrificial system 
and the Levitical priesthood of the Old Testament. We are not in the worship of God to come into the presence of God in any way that we desire. It is a matter of life and death. The acceptable way of worshiping the Lord, the Westminster Confession says, the acceptable way of worshiping the true God is instituted by himself and so limited by his own revealed will that he may not be worshipped according to the imaginations and the devices of men. So as we come, how do we come into the presence of God? How do we worship the true God? Do we come in our own pride and conceit? Do we come thinking that we can determine how it is that we are to come? Or do we come to him in humility, with reverence for his gospel, for his means of approaching him that he has revealed to us? Here we see that the author of 1 Kings wants us to see that the great evil of what Jeroboam has done is that he has devised it himself. He has broken away from the revelation of God and come up with it on his own. So I think sometimes modern day Christians don't think about worship as they ought to. Um, there's a term that is a Latin term, and I'm not a Latin person. I don't know much Latin. Some of you that might know it more than me. But there is one that I remember. Su generis. Unique unto itself. Worship is one, of, one thing that we engage in that is different from anything else that we do. And it is done, it must be done, according to the way that God has prescribed. If it isn't, it is a matter of life and death. How do we come before a holy God? It's not for us to determine. It's not for us to put our uh, put a poll out and see what people enjoy and what they like. It's not for us to decide well, how is it that the ten fastest growing churches in the country grow so fast. Why don't we adopt those methods? That might be a popular thing. That might work. That might bring in more people from different age groups. And so churches sometimes don't think of worship as they ought. They don't see it as something that is prescribed, that is God-given. And so we make a distinction in the things that we do in worship. It's not like we do other, in other activities of life. In other activities of life, we're free to uh, use common sense and our own wisdom. But in the worship of God, it is very uh, definitely a thing unto itself. It is prescribed by the Lord. And uh, it is a matter of importance that we don't put our finger to the wind and just say, what is it that we think will work most? What will be most popular? That is what Jeroboam did. And so when we come before the Lord, we come according 
to the means that he has prescribed. And what is that means? And this is where I want to end our consideration. Isn't it Jesus Christ? Isn't it the cross? Isn't it that we actually, when we come before the Lord, we come through the cross? That it is his sacrifice at Calvary in my place and my trust and my only hope is in what he has done on that sacred altar. His blood shed for me. That's my only confidence. That's my only hope that I, a sinner, could come into the very presence of God. That he died on the cross for my sins. In a sense, you can see the northern tribes being cut off from the altar at Jerusalem are cut off from Jesus Christ. That is the darkness that Jeroboam inflicted upon them. He cut them off from God's ordained means. Not only is Christ's death the means, but his resurrection and his ascension. It is all about what Christ has done. And so the author of Hebrews tells us, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened up for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, since we have such a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart, a full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. And as the book of Acts tells us, there is no salvation. There is salvation in no, other, in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we may be saved. And so to alter or to change the way of approaching God is to be expose ourselves to God's final judgment. And if the judgment of God came upon Solomon and Rehoboam for their idolatry, what is this first king of the northern tribes exposing the people over whom he is responsible them to? He's exposing them to spiritual darkness and to the judgments of God. And we see that at the very beginning of God's dealings with uh, the northern tribes. Now let's uh, close in prayer. Our gracious God, Heavenly Father, we do pray that you would help us to have reverence for you, for your word, that we would remember it when we are confused and don't know what to do, when we are insecure,